Welcome to Life Happens, where Texans come to protect their legacy and prepare for the second half of life. Join your host, Attorney Kim Hegwood with Hegwood Law Group and our weekly guest as we navigate the challenges that emerge as life happens. Now here's your host, Kim Hegwood. Good morning and welcome to Life Happens with me, Kim Hegwood, and our very special guest, uh, Dr. Liz. And um, good morning. Good morning. So today we're going to be talking about something that's really true to our hearts, you know, in my office, because we're always very concerned about people taking advantage of elderly people. And so we see it happen a lot, uh, unfortunately. So we always want to make sure that we're doing everything we can to educate, to make sure that people understand that there are consequences, you know, out there. So I'm super excited to have you on the show today. And so um, one of the things that we, um, wanted to ask you is that um, we have people that uh, this occurs with, you know, so what could someone have done prior, maybe a family member, caregiver, loved one that may have made it where maybe it didn't happen. So maybe they caught something earlier, like maybe warning signs or things that they should have said that said, Hey, what could we do to kind of make sure that this doesn't happen? Well, that, that is the $64 million question. So that is not what our, our society is set up for. Um, I'm a geriatrician, uh, and that means I have extra training for care of elders. Uh, I was also assistant professor at UCSF and a consultant to the Elder Abuse Forensic Center. So I've seen the whole gamut. Uh, what is really difficult in our society is to identify early when something is going off the rails, when someone no longer has the ability to make the decisions for themselves, or it might be that they don't have dementia, but they're at risk for undue influence. And I'll try and be brief about all of these things. You know, as people get older, they have the right to do what they want. You know, I've seen a lot of times like, well, mom's just being stubborn. And what's important for us to do is to figure out what is them being stubborn and it's their right to do it the way they want to. And what is their, you know, brain not functioning the way it should be. And it makes them vulnerable to being taken advantage of or to um, getting hurt, you know, not being able to get the care that they need. So the things that I would suggest is, you know, someone might have a change in personality. They might have a change in empathy. Uh, when we think of dementia, we think of someone who kind of doesn't know where things are and they can't remember anything and they ask the same questions over and over. There are a number of times when it might be that someone has just, and actually you'd be interested in this from the, the legal aspect, um, they might have only, only lost their risk assessment. And of course, if we do a CAT scan, we can see that there's a problem in the temporal orbital area. So if it exists on an MRI, um, then it actually exists. And what that is, is they might look perfect. They can know the day, the date, the president, you know, they can repeat three words, but they can't learn from risk assessment. They can't learn from their losses. So um, it is something that you might start to look at patterns that if someone continues to lose a lot of money, you know, gambling, you know, we think, okay, they've got a gambling addiction. If like one lady, was wanting to uh, have someone help her move furniture. So she was going out 
on the street at 11 at night looking for people to help her. That's a big red flag <laughs> that she's losing her judgment. Um, it's also even more difficult with people who've been very successful and powerful because they're like, yeah, I'm fine, not a problem. And you're gonna have to figure out ways to understand what's going on because I've heard many times that you know they will make poor investment decisions or they'll let you know a sweetheart in or a caregiver and their assets can be completely wiped out in the span of a couple months. Yeah. So one of the things that you can do is you can kind of just test them. Uh, you can have them draw a clock, an analog clock where you put on all the numbers and then have them write, uh, put the hands on for 10 minutes after 11. And don't get more specific than that because usually they should know that, you know, the small ones on the 11 and the big ones on the two. But, you know, if their abstract thinking is off, they might put it on the 10 or the 11 or they might not get all the numbers in place or they might put in too many hands. So, so you need to know that. And then the other thing you can do is you can have them calculate something simple like what's 25% of $22.50. If you're in charge of all your finances, you better be able to do that. And so if they you know, can't figure out what it is or they figure out it's, you know, the numbers are five, six, two, but they have it down as $56.20 and they can't kind of work back from it and figure out what's wrong with it, <laughs> that's a huge red flag. They shouldn't be doing things themselves. Uh, so if you take them to the doctor and often what they'll do there is just these general screens. It is a mini mental status exam or the MOCA, which they ask you to, you know, tell the day, the date, you know, draw a design, um, do a three-step, um, instruct, uh, do a three-step task. And, you know, you can have a perfect score, but you might still have lost your judgment and not be able to understand something that's really risky or something that's dangerous. Um, and in that situation, you, let me, let me back up a minute. The MOCA or the Montreal uh, Cognitive Assessment is a little bit better because there you have to be a little bit more abstract. You know, they have a field of a, uh, letters and numbers and you go from a letter to number to a letter to number. So it's A to one, to B to two. And if you're losing the ability to abstract that, there's a problem. Um, th that said, that often means nothing to the person who's got brain problems or something called anagnosia or like Rumsfeld's unknown unknowns. They don't think there's a problem. And what I've seen is the most common kind of dementia is Alzheimer's disease, where things kind of generally get more fuzzy um, that, you know, they may forget to take their medications, they may forget their appointments. <laughs> like someone I know um, and they just kind of are a little bit more withdrawn and detached. The people particularly who have like diabetes and high blood pressure and vascular disease and small, small little strokes, they're really tough because they look just fine. Mm -hmm. And I've seen many times where I've, um, they look just fine, but then they can't remember the next day what they did flat out. If you can figure out things uh, uh, with information on a piece of paper, that's great. But you've got to remember what you did a couple of days ago to be able to make reasoned, particularly financial decisions. And I've seen a number of even neuropsychologists, and those are the people who you do want to do the evaluation. If someone 
you know, has a, a good screen from a mini mental of 2630, but things are weird. You want a neuropsychologist and they're different than a psychiatrist or a psychologist because they do specific task oriented testing to see which parts of your brain work and which parts don't. Um, but even there, they might say, oh yeah, you know, they can, they can read a piece of paper and they can tell me everything I need to know. But then I've gone to see that same person. They can't remember what they had for breakfast. If they can't do that, they can't remember that, you know, Jimmy borrowed $50,000 for them and that, you know, Jimmy's asked for it several times. So that's when we need to kind of step up and figure out plan B. We find that, uh, that there's like two schools of, I want to say schools of thought, but there's really two different patterns that we see in my office. Um, the kids are coming in because they're saying, mom or dad, there's a problem. Um, and we can't get them to the doctor. Now we, you know, what's our next steps? Because we're not sure what to do. And then you find the kids that you see their parents, you think, oh my God, this person shouldn't be living alone. And the kids are like, oh no, they're fine. They still cook. They still clean. Everything's right. fine. And you're like, no, no, there's, there's, you know, you can spend, you should obviously do not spend enough time with them to notice that there's a lot of things going on, you know? So, um, so we find that, you know, really trying to get good, you know, get people to move in the direction they need to move is sometimes a lot harder than, than you would expect. And so. Well, socially, you know, we're not wired. So, so we're wired to kind of look at patterns and if people socially sound okay, then we give them past they're like, okay, they're fine. I mean, and even doctors don't have a lot of training to know, you know, what sorts of things are problematic. If you go in and say, well, Mrs. Smith, how are you doing? Fine. Any pain? Nope. Any problem with your medications? Nope. Anything that you're concerned about? Nope. I mean, it may be that they're not really asking the questions to see if there's a problem. Um, and I see that, so the way to address it, um, so you have the elder who denies that there's a problem and the family's concerned. Uh, what we often do, and you can't make someone go in for an evaluation, except for these days, you can do a video visit, you know, not that I'm here to plug myself, but we do telehealth online. So um, I've done video visits with families where you can talk to someone and you can just get the information you need to at least start the ball rolling to say, oh no, they need more evaluation. And back, you know, when I worked for the Elder Abuse Forensic Center, if, if someone is at risk, they're not taking care of themselves, you know, they've been swindled, but the adult protective services worker comes to the door, the elder can say, sorry, I'm fine. You know, I, I don't need your help. And that's that. Well, <laughs> my job was to go back and talk to that person. And often you can talk to someone at the door, you know, and kind of figure out what's going on. And then from that point, I could make an assessment back to adult protective services, suggesting that this person needs more evaluation. And it's a lot easier these days to do it on video. So that's kind of the first way that you can get in there. The, the other way I advise to do it is my um, friend's father was a successful accountant and he had small strokes, but he didn't think there was anything wrong. What I suggest families do is kind of work to um, help support and put a buffer around the elder 
particularly if they've got you know good the good caregivers that will help the family and keep um, keep the um, predators from calling in you know who try and take advantage like you know just send us your bank account number and then we'll send you a million dollars you know to prevent those those calls you know even elders can be abused by charities you know the charities send the list and and the um, abusers totally send the list once you've been taken in by um, one scammer your name goes on a list and then they sell it so you need someone to protect you to do that and i've had situations where they didn't want to confront the elder but they've intercepted the mail they've intercepted the phone calls so they protect them that way and then there's um when you can you have someone reliable on their bank account and know where their assets are to help manage the assets you know with the fiduciary responsibility meaning they're doing it for the elder. They're not, you know, skimming some for themselves. Yeah. So, so we're, we're talking about, you know, about trying to make sure that we, you know, prevent elder you know, abuse, you know, when it comes to financial and things like that. So one of the other, you know, it's one thing to get a scammer to, you know, to, to call and, you know, and have people, you know, send them money. But let's talk a little bit more about something a little closer to home. So what we find is a lot of times that the biggest people, the biggest, the largest group of people that are taking advantage of the elderly are caregivers and family members. And yes. so by, you know, doing, you know, just not doing well by them, you know, the legal term is, you know, is undue influence. I know, you know, and, um, but, but let's talk a little bit about that for our listeners to kind of give them a, a little more education and some more knowledge so they can so they know what's to look for and how it's happening and things like that so undue influence means that you're using persuasion to get an elder to do something that's not in their best interest but benefits the abuser and i can give you a very good example of you know it, it's often the elder who's lost a spouse you know there was a woman who the contractor came in to work on the house after she lost her husband. Well, then he started spending more money, uh, spending more time with her. Um, and then he married her. And then he got control of her accounts. And then he put a restraining order on her previous lawyer, her daughter, her friends, and isolated her. Um, she had not been diagnosed with having dementia. Um, she did have Parkinson's and eventually, you know, was found did not have capacity but by that time he was kind of entrenched and that's kind of the most gut-wrenching situation is someone outside coming in to do that there's a the, the most common as we know uh abuse um abusers are the family members who feel like mom doesn't need it or you know the thing that kills me is the medical estate planning it's like, well, mom's got $5 million and we don't want her to, you know, just lose that money. So we're going to put that in a medical trust. So her $5 million will go to us. And when she needs it, she'll go into a nursing home, into a Medicaid nursing home bed, which is not very nice. So it's, I mean, that's, that's the first thing that I really have a problem with, you know, and that's, that, that's a little bit more sanitized. Then you've got, you know, like Jimmy, 
who never quite got the good job but figures mom owes him and is taking money out of the account. And sometimes Jimmy, you know, won't get mom the health care that she needs. That is, if you see an elder A being abused anyway, you know, whether they're not having their medical issues cared for, whether they are um, having their finances used for someone else, you need to step up and say something. You can report it to the Adult Protective Services and Adult Protective Services is there to protect elders, but they're, you know, fashioned after Child Protective Services. And that's mainly, you know, bodily. It's health, it's bodily, it's, you know, not being um, hurt. They're not as good about figuring out, you know, did Mr. Smith really want to give his caregiver, you know, $50,000 just because he wanted to help her out or did she take that from him? Um, so what I advise is if you have standing and what standing is, is it someone, and you'll have to correct me if I'm wrong, someone who is connected to that person either um, by relationship or they're a beneficiary when the person dies to say, well, this is not okay. And what I always say is if you have concerns, you need to talk to a good elder law attorney and you probably need a fiduciary. So the whole issue of, you know, the sweetheart swindle and meeting that, you know, pretty young thing, you know, to marry the old man and get his money, you know, I always like to say, well, you know, if you're wealthy and you want to marry Anna Nicole Smith, that's fine. As long as you understand the risks and the benefits that come along with Anna Nicole Smith. And what I often advise people to do is if you put the money in the trust, you know, that it can't be touched from the outside and the trust is only used for the elder. And then this young person still wants to, you know, have a, a them, then I think that is terrific. Yeah. Um, yeah, we do a lot of trust planning, uh, a lot of trust planning there? in my office to protect people. So most definitely. Uh -oh. so. I've somehow lost you. Well, we lost Dr. Liz, but we want to thank her so much for coming on the show today. And if you'd like to uh, talk with Dr. Liz, you can reach her at www.drlizgeriatrics.com. You can also find her on Facebook at Dr. Liz Geriatrics or call 844-DRLIZED. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Life Happens with Kim Hegwood. Be sure to tune in every Thursday at 10 a.m. wherever you listen to your podcasts as we navigate through the challenges that emerge as life happens. The content of this podcast does not establish an attorney-client relationship or constitute attorney-client privilege, legal, medical, financial, or any other professional advice. 